Amen. Thank you so much, guys. We'll see ya. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Wasn't it great to have the children with us this morning? Uh, I have to tell you, we have a fantastic children's ministry team, uh, both uh, Renee and Brenda and all of our volunteers and those who serve. Those kids are in really good hands, and uh, it's, they do some really good stuff. We don't get to see them very often, which is uh, too bad, uh, but they do um, wonderful work over there. The kids are being discipled and shaped into uh, young warriors for Jesus. It's fantastic, so uh, good stuff. Uh, good morning, everyone. I'm Jamie, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to uh, unpack the scriptures for you this morning, which I'm looking forward to doing. Uh, before we do that, though, um, to- talking about church family, I would like to welcome into membership uh, Lou and Linda Trammell. Now, where are you guys? So wave to me, it's dark. There we are, right there. So give us a wave, fantastic. I would just like to say, uh, Lou and Linda, a warm, warm welcome to the Seven Oaks family. Uh, so glad that you're taking this step to become formal members uh, with us. Um, a little bit of background for Lou and Linda. They were at Surrey Alliance for many years, uh, serving there, and moved to Abbotsford 10, 11 months ago, almost a year ago, moved to Abbotsford and uh, have been worshiping with us since then. And so we're so glad that you're here, and I would love to pray for you uh, this morning. Father, I just want to thank you so much uh, for Lou and Linda. I want to thank you for uh, the life that you have given them, uh, for the ministry that they've been involved in. I want to thank you for the things that you've done in their lives in shaping them to become disciples of Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you that they are calling Seven Oaks home now, and I believe that we will be the richer for it, and I pray that equally this will be a place in which they get further nurtured in their own spiritual walk. So, Lord, as they find their way into this community more and more, uh, would you bless them? Uh, would you encourage them and strengthen them? Would you meet them uh, where they need you most, uh, most acutely in their lives? And would you continue to direct their steps in the name of Jesus? Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Uh, one other thing before we get into the um, uh, sermon. Um, I have been working for quite a long time to uh, host a soul care conference here at Seven Oaks, and uh, it is coming up, and it's a little way away yet, but I want you to hold the date, and I'll tell you why in a second. It's March 3rd and 4th, uh, that's a Friday and a Saturday, uh, 2023, and if you don't know what Soul Care is, Soul Care is a book that was originally written by uh, Rob Reamer, who is an alliance guy, uh, professor at NIAC um, University in New York, uh, developed the conferences that kind of came out of that book, The Seven Principles for a Healthy Soul, and uh, a number of our people have been involved. In fact, um, a number of us attended it at uh, um, Heritage just before the pandemic in uh, 2019, I think it was, just before. And um, it's, it's a life-changing conference. It's fabulous. It's wonderful. And I want to encourage everybody to attend if you can. And so the reason I'm telling you so early, and I'll give you way more detail when we get closer to it, is just so that you can hold those dates, because I know uh, that people work, and Friday is often a work day for people, and Saturday is sometimes a work day for people as well. And so if you know far enough in advance, maybe uh, you could consider taking a day off. Um, it's, it's that important, I think. And if you're able to do that, wonderful. Um, I'll tell you how to get tickets as we get into the new year. I'll unpack a little bit more about it. And um, Jeremy and Carmen Kinneberg, I don't know if you know those names or not, 
um, former Alliance pastors at Vernon Alliance. They uh, will be running the conference for us. Jeremy's worked really close with Rob over the years uh, and has permission to teach the material and lead the conferences in Canada. So uh, excited about them coming. So uh, put that in your calendar. When you and I are trying to figure uh, something out, maybe we've been given a puzzle or a riddle from somebody, and, we, and it's pretty hard, and we don't really know uh, the answer to it. We might ask for a clue, right? We might ask for some kind of hint. When my kids were really small, we used to play I Spy. I'm sure most of you know what I Spy is, and I'm sure probably everybody's played it at some point. And, and because they were really small, we used to give them really, really easy ones. And then occasionally we'd throw in a hard one. And it took all of, you know, three seconds before they're asking, Dad, give me a hint. So, Dad, give us a clue. Um, but, uh, and by the way, if you're a new parent in here, a uh, little tip for you. If you need a rest, uh, do the I spy thing, but pick something that's not in the room. It'll keep them going for ages. You can sip your coffee and just say, nope, you don't have it yet. Look for more parenting tips from Jamie. I've never done that. But uh, you, can, you, can, you can consider whether you want to do that. Um, uh, anyway, so it w- I would tell them a slightly harder one. It, would take, it wouldn't take them very long until they're asking for a clue or for a hint of some kind. Uh, when you think about Christmas and you think about Advent and you think about church and sermons and so on, uh, I wonder what things kind of conjure up in your mind. Probably, if you've been around church long enough, you're thinking about the infancy narratives in Matthew and Luke. You're thinking of... Uh, shepherds and angels and the magi and no room at the inn and that kind of thing. Maybe you're thinking of your favorite Christmas carols. Or maybe you think of candles or wreaths or trees or whatever comes to mind. And all of those things are are, are legitimate because those are the things that we talk about and, and decorate with at Christmas time. What we would like to do during this Advent, though, is take a little bit more of a 30,000 foot look at the scriptures. And we're going to take a look from Genesis to Revelation, and we're only obviously going to be able to pick out a few things, but we're going to look for some hints and some clues about Christmas. We're going to look for the whispers of Christmas, as Renee said. So we're going to start with Genesis. So if you have um, your Bible with you, open to Genesis chapter 3, and I'm going to read the chapter uh, to you. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. For God, uh, you will not die, for God knows that if you eat, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate and also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig trees together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? He said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, uh, the woman you gave me, whom you gave me uh, with me, she gave me the fruit from the tree and, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent tricked me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you among the animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And to the woman, he said, I'll greatly increase the pangs in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants um, of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all who lived, and the Lord God made garments of skins for the man and for his wife, and he clothed them. Then the Lord God said, see, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. God's word to us today. Not a typical Christmas passage, but we're looking for the hints and the clues and the whispers. Genesis chapter 3 is an absolute tragic story, isn't it? It is a tragedy, it is dark, it is sad, it is a story of paradise lost. Right off the back of chapters 1 and 2, where the author had demonstrated the truth that God had created this, this wonderful and good and, and benevolent creation out of his goodness. We have the story then of ruin and destruction and the upending of all that is good. You see, God had created this, this wonderful thing, this, this beautiful, life-giving, rich, abundant creation, this home for humanity to live in, full of provision and light and abundance, teeming with plants and animals. Creation ought to theologically be understood as an act of benevolence, an act of goodness, it's an act of kindness for God. It was a good thing that he did. He created a good and perfect habitat, ideal for human flourishing. And what's more, there's absolutely no hint of distance between God and humanity. In fact, in our chapter, even in chapter 3, it said that God was walking during the evening breeze, and, and that's a hard thing to sort of wrap our heads around, but, but, but then the, peop the people hid from him, but, but the idea was that they had intimate closeness and connection and accessibility, that the humans had accessibility to God. Friends, this is paradise. This is beauty. This is glory. Imagine a place, a world without pain, a place of abundance, a place of sharing, a place of goodness and love, a place where God is face to face and right here, the creator, the, the lover of our souls. This is paradise, but it all gets lost. 
Humanity exercising its free will to choose chooses wrongly. And yes, there's trickery in there and there's temptation, but there's choice. The serpent, who we don't actually find out until the book of Revelation, we don't actually find out the identity of the serpent, but in the book of Revelation, we find out who that serpent was, Satan, the devil, in animal form, tempts and tricks the first humans into willingly throwing away all that God had given them. And before we go and get on our high horses and start getting all angry with Adam and Eve and say, my suffering is because of them. I can't wait to give heaven and give them a piece of my mind. Like all of the suffering that we experience is because of Adam and Eve while we are right in the dock there with them. We were all in Adam. We were all in Eve. And what's more, that same serpent tempts us today in the same ways. And we must never miss that. Telling us and tempting us to turn away from the good and to grasp hold of the bad, tempting us to to turn away and rebel from God's good rule and commit sin, and we all do it again and again. Sin can sometimes be very tempting and alluring, and it can look attractive to our eyes. It can look beautiful, and it can give us fleeting pleasure, but it soon starts to taste like sand as it begins to eat away at our own soul, doesn't it? And so it's a story of paradise lost, and we all share in it. Notice how the serpent says, did God really tell you not to eat of any tree in the garden, which wasn't true, it was a twist. Did God really tell you that? And Eve says, oh, oh, no, no, just, just not from that tree. Like, we can eat from all of the other trees, but, but not that one. And I can't even touch it or I'm going to die. I'm adding emphasis to my voice, which is interpretive, but hopefully it helps us understand a little bit about what's going on. You see, the devil is subverting truth. He's planting doubt in the mind of the humans about the goodness of God. What he's doing, he's focusing on God's prohibition, and he's not focusing on the abundance of his provision. You see, God had created all this wonder and beauty and abundance for enjoyment and had this one rule. And instead of focusing on all that is good, We focus on the one rule, the one prohibition, and plants doubt. And how often do us human beings focus so much on the one thing that bothers us and restricts us? And in that moment, we forget all about the goodness, and all about the blessings, and all about the mercy, and all about the love. How often do we remember how God didn't answer this one prayer, that we prayed and we prayed and we prayed? And that can be really hard. But we can end up focusing on it so much and then forget in that moment all the answers to prayer that we've had throughout our lives and all the blessing and all the mercy and all the love and all the goodness. And then we fail to trust God. Even though we have abundant reasons to trust, that he probably had good reason not to answer our prayer and we have to leave it with him. What happens here in this story is that Satan was making God appear restrictive. He was defaming God's motives. He was planting doubt in Eve's mind. And Eve fell for it. And we fall for it. She yielded to half-truths and denials. And then she adds her own prohibition. Yeah, he even said, if I touch it, I'm going to die. God never said that. Eve created that image of God in her mind as she gave in to the temptation and the trickery and so on. And what happens was she, she began to develop a more restrictive God in her mind. Instead of seeing all of the wonderful freedom she had, she started to disparage her own privileges. 
Does anyone see this in themselves? How we can listen to a lie and yield to temptation then justify it by creating an image of God that actually isn't completely true? We think that God is more restrictive than he is and maybe he isn't all good and all trustworthy. And besides, what I'm doing isn't really all that bad. And so we create justification for what we do. So Adam and Eve eat of the tree. They break the one small rule that they had and everything begins to unravel. I'm gonna just spend a few minutes talking about what happened and it's tragic. I wanna mention five things that happened. The first one is that innocence was lost. Innocence was lost in that moment. All of a sudden, these paradise-dwelling, open, free humans suddenly feel shame for the first time. Up until that point, there was no evidence that shame was a thing. How sad. For the first time, human beings felt shame. And what happens when we feel shame? We withdraw, and we hide, and we cover ourselves up. And that's exactly what they did. Their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. Before it didn't seem to bother them, they were free to be naked in front of each other. And it was a wonderful, beautiful, innocent thing. When you think about babies and and toddlers, they don't know they're naked. They don't care they're naked. But all of a sudden, sin and shame creeps in and the first thing they did was cover up. They didn't want to be vulnerable anymore. They didn't want to be seen. And so... They covered up and they created loincloths. They felt exposed. The urge was to hide, to avoid vulnerability. Sound familiar? The second thing that happened was a wedge was driven between them and God. And this is the most tragic part. They heard God coming uh, on the evening breeze, walking in the garden, looking for them. And instead of running towards him with abandon to daddy, to, to the lover of their souls that they had this full access to, instead of running towards him, They hid from God. How sad. They didn't want to be around him. You see, sin creates a barrier. How many of us, when we're living in sin, avoid reading our Bible or praying or wanting to go to church or be around other Christians because we just feel shame? There's distance. Our sin has created a barrier between us and God. Shame means we can't look up. We're spiritually bent over. And of course, they're sent out of the garden away from God. God is not now easily found. God used to be easily found. They could just walk with him. Now he's not easily found. Isn't that true? When we get to Genesis chapter 12 and the Abraham story, and and, and part of that was read by the kids earlier, in the Abraham story, um, there's no evidence that, that Abraham ever would have found God. It was only God's mercy to come down and reveal himself to Abraham. It was only God's desire for self-disclosure to Abraham that Abraham ever knew, ever had any hope of knowing God. He was a pagan. It's hard to know God now. That's why we have to go and preach to people who don't know him, why we have to go and evangelize to people, because it's not easy to know God anymore. The third thing is that judgment falls. Uh, First, God rightly judges the serpent. Satan and his demons, fallen angels, rebelled against God's good rule, and then they go after God's prized possession, humanity, and corrupts them through temptation and leads to the fall. And God has enough, and he judges them. But judgment also comes to humans. Women now suffer when they have children. It isn't easy 
for the propagation of humans. It isn't easy for children to come into the world. It comes with struggle and pain and hurt. It's, it's something, there's something fighting against something that should be so beautiful and easy. It's hard and it hurts. And in a parallel sense, the ground as well. Now it's not easy for the ground just to produce, but now there's weeds and thorns and thistles. And anybody who ever been a farmer knows that toiling the, the ground and the soil is hard work. It's not easy anymore. So judgment falls. And of course, they, they get kicked out of the garden. Access to the tree of life is, is not permitted. Uh, uh, fourthly, enmity gets introduced. Yet your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. There's enmity between the sexes now. Before, I think, probably how we should have understood that is that the, uh, the relationship used to be this relational harmony and freedom and beauty, and now there appears to be control and insubordination and a ruling over, a division, relational discord and breakdown and misunderstanding. Relationships are hard now. There's enmity. And fifth is the creation itself becomes hostile. We mentioned about one of the judgment pieces was the working of the ground became hard and difficult. Let me read this bit to you again. In toil you should eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it'll bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you will return. Humankind's relationship to the land has been flipped. Humans were supposed to rule over the land, and now the land resists, and eventually the land consumes. To dust you shall return. Creation has become hostile towards us. And we could talk over and over about natural disasters and things like that, taking human lives. The created world is not as safe and beautiful as it was. It's broken, it's fallen, it's under curse. It's hostile to humans. So this is all rather depressing, isn't it? I came to church this morning to see the kids do a dance, and you hit us with Genesis 3. What is this? <laughs> it is depressing. It is sad. But you know what, church family? The thing that we're going to see now is that in the midst of the toil and, and the pain and the struggle and the, and the brokenness and all of that is our first whisper of Christmas. There is good news in here as well. In speaking to the serpent, God says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. God tells the serpent that there will be this ongoing struggle between the offspring of the woman and the offspring uh, of Satan. And I think we're supposed to understand this in, in at least a, a couple of ways. I think primarily in an individual way, we'll get to in a moment, but also in a collective sense. That is, the, the, the woman's offspring the descendants of the men and women who have been given these promises despite their sin. The seed of the serpent, we, we don't want to misunderstand that and think it's talking about baby snakes. It isn't. We've already decided, uh, from, well, we already know from the Scriptures that actually it was Satan masquerading as a snake. So then is it demons? Well, no, there's no evidence that Satan uh, fathers demons or anything like that. But rather, I think what we're supposed to understand is the segment of humanity that has rebelled and will continue in its stubborn rebellion towards God. And that also is tragic. 
But every one of us knows not everyone has nor will turn to Jesus. Many of our fellow humans will never turn to him. And it's tragic and it's sad. And it's why we need to give up the rest of our lives to share in the good news that we might pluck some from the fire, says Jude. And so I think uh, partly it's a collective sense that there will be this enmity between, between people that follow Jesus and people that don't. And there is some of that. But I think more importantly f- for us to understand that there was definitely a singular aspect to this. There is a specific head to be crushed and there's a specific ankle that will be struck. There'll be an individual struggle where both will suffer. There will come a time where the, the head of Satan will be crushed underfoot but the ankle of the head crusher will take a nasty blow as well. There will be suffering to the head crusher also. And so throughout the rest of the scriptures, we're looking for the head crusher to come and crush the head of Satan and defeat him. This is the earliest hint, the earliest clue, the earliest whisper of Christmas, of one who will be born a redeemer, who will overcome that ancient serpent who will actually reverse Adam's rebellion. One will be obedient to the Father in in, in all of its fullness and will provide a way for that chasm that exists between humanity and God to be crossable. And that's what we're looking for. And you know who else was looking for that? Satan was looking for that. And and I've said this before at at Christmas time to you, but I believe that's what's lurking in the background of of the infancy narrative um, and the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem. I think that Satan was obsessed with finding this king of the Jews, and yes, he was working through human agency, most specifically King Herod, because King Herod didn't want a king of the Jews born because he was insecure, and, but I think that Satan was working in the background too, because if he can kill the king of the Jews before he comes up, then he won't ever crush his head. So he was obsessed with trying to find him. So built right into the story is this first whisper of Christmas. The head of the serpent will be crushed and it will be delivered to some cost to the head crusher. There will be an injury to the redeemer. There will be suffering to the redeemer. But the enemy of all that, good, uh, that is good will be defeated. This is our first hint. And there's a couple of other things just before we close here that I want to just mention that, that are also important in this story. The first one is the naming of Eve. That's actually really good news. That's really good news. Adam names Eve. He says the man, the man named his wife Eve because she's the mother of all who will live. It's an act of hope. It means that Adam understood some form of restoration because he believed the promise that Eve would have children, that there would be descendants from her and him, and she would be the mother of all who live, and one of her offspring will defeat Satan. This is a ray of hope. This is an act of faith in naming her how he named her. And secondly, uh, God made garments, clothing for the two humans that had just had judgment pronounced. The wonderful love of the Father, the wonderful love of the Father, despite all that happened, nevertheless, this is an act of grace and mercy and a kindness to them. Despite the fall, God chooses to care for them by clothing their shame, which is a hint of what he does for all of us as he clothes our shame. And the way he does so involves sacrifice. Up to this point, there's no evidence that any animals had ever been killed before, but now there was a sacrifice. Now there was blood spilt. 
to get the animal skins to cover them required a sacrifice. And so the whisper gets a little bit louder, doesn't it? The whisper starts to get a bit louder as we think about who's coming. So church families, we've entered into the Advent season, the season of waiting and and looking and hoping and longing for Christmas, uh, the birth of a redeemer, the birth of the head crusher. Let me encourage you as I close out here to look for the light. As you wait, as we ponder, as we look for the one who's coming who will celebrate on Christmas Day, may you be one who's looking up and looking for the light. As the days get darker, and I mean that both in an actual sense, in that the days will continue to get darker, at least until December 21st. But as the, world, as the days get darker in our world, seemingly, let's be people that look for the light, to listen for the whispers of hope, to listen to the whispers of Christmas. Amen. Amen. All right, team, let's worship. Feel free to stand while I get my guitar here.